0: Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Oh, come on. A L- little bit better than that. How are we doing this morning? My name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad that you're here, that you chose to join us for the very first service of City Walk Church. Uh, I'm, I uh, met a girl by the name of Lori. Her name was Gled Hill. Uh, About 20-some years ago, I was from Florida. She grew up in a town called Marysville. Many of you know uh, that because you're maybe from there. And what led us to kind of come to this area and start a church is after we got married, we would come out here about every two years for the holidays, and now 21 years later, God led us here to start a church called City Walk Church, and so uh, I'm so glad that you're here, and we're, we're just excited about what God is doing uh, on even day one of City Walk Church. Uh, for those of you that are about my age or a little bit older, and I'm 42, uh, you, you, you understand this. Now that, now that you're a little, little older... Uh, one of the things that we used to uh, kind of maybe even make fun of our grandparents for was how they got so set in their ways about different things. Uh, for some people, uh, they you, you and you knew this, when you went to grandma's house, there were certain things that didn't matter... Didn't matter what the restaurant was really like, because grandma liked the restaurant, it was going to be, I mean, that was her favorite restaurant. You're like, grandma, there's a roach crawling across the table, but baby, I love the bacon here and I've been coming here for 20 years. And so grandma saw that restaurant through a certain filter and no matter what it was really like, because she saw it through that filter, that's what she was going to see. It's called confirmation bias. We, we do that with some of our heroes. So if you grew up in the '90s, you probably liked Mariah Carey, and, and man, she was—that was, was kind of her heyday. And you you play that for your kids today. You're, hey, this is somebody I listened to, and man, you loved her because in the '90s she like could hit that really high note in that one song, and and she was really good. And now you listen to her today, and your kids are like, what, like? But for you, you see her through the 90s filter, so you still love her, and your kids are like, I think I could sing better than her. Or, Or maybe for you, it's an athlete. I remember I grew up in Florida, and so in Florida, Tim Tebow was like the fourth member of the Trinity. And, and so we, we love Tim Tebow. And so, man, I'm going to be honest. I had a little confirmation bias about Tim Tebow. He'd go, it got to the NFL, would go like four for 33. And I'd be like, but man, th- did you see what he did on that last play? It was a tremendous game. And everybody else is like, dude, he went four for 33. But I saw him through what the filter I wanted to see him through. And we do that. The worst is Grandparents how they see their grandkids, you're like, your grandkid is the biggest jerk in Yuba City, but grandma sees him through a certain filter, and so, man, he could have like beat up his teacher that day at school, I mean, all that stuff, but grandma wants to take him out for ice cream that night because she sees him through, and the grandmas are like, yeah, what's wrong with that? She, she sees him through that filter. But sometimes, if we're honest, we do the same thing with Jesus, We have kind of an Instagram version of Jesus that we see through a certain filter to kind of make Jesus be what we really want him to be. And and you know that. we, We all do that. Whether you grew up in church, whether you're new to faith, or whether you're investigating faith, you see Jesus through a certain filter. And what's interesting in our society, and we know this because there are literally competing movements or political parties that use the same verse to justify what they're doing. Because we are all good at making filters for Jesus to make him fit exactly what we want him to fit. And so, so you probably have a filter that you see Jesus through. You, you might see Jesus through uh, activist Jesus filter, like he's an activist to you. You might see Jesus through angry Jesus filter. You might see Jesus through like Sunday school flannel graph Jesus filter. You might see him through like hipster Jesus. We all see him through different filters. But one of the things that I've, I've found is that Jesus, the unfiltered version of Jesus, is really a pretty disruptive force. Jesus said a lot of things that you're not going to put on a coffee mug. In fact, he, he said some things that after he was done talking, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. So, so Jesus, man, he was the type of, of person that he didn't do things the way people thought he was going to do it. He wrecked systems. He hung out with the people he wasn't supposed to hang out with. He got angry at things you weren't supposed to get angry at and didn't get angry at things that the religious crowd thought you should get angry at. Jesus was extremely disruptive. He never hung out with the right people. He always hung out with the people that you weren't supposed to hang out with because they'd hurt you or they would mess up what people thought of you. Jesus did things totally different than what the religious crowd of his day thought. Because he was so disruptive, and, and we've done this, and, and they, we've done exactly what other people do, have done in the past, is we've taken this Jesus that was so disruptive, that wrecked things in the best possible way, and we have sanitized him in our generation. We have made him cute and cuddly, and kind of fit what we want? How did we go from disruptive, change the world Jesus to cute, cuddly, sanitized Jesus? And I think the reason that we've done that is because of this. Because Jesus is so disruptive, it makes us uncomfortable. And so we have filtered Jesus to fit in our comfort zone. And we are not the only generation that's done that, but down deep inside of us, even though we filter Jesus, down deep inside of us, when everything hits the fan, we desperately hope Jesus is more than the filtered version that we've created. When everything goes wrong, there's something inside of us, whether we're a follower of Jesus or whether we're investigating faith, there's something inside of us that hopes there's more to Jesus than the filtered version we've created. And what's interesting is the unfiltered Jesus has the power to disrupt our lives in the best possible way. He has the power to disrupt fear. He has the power to disrupt multi-generational addiction. He has the power to disrupt loneliness. He has the power to disrupt on so many levels in the best possible way. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to unfilter Jesus. And whether you're somebody that, hey, you've been following Jesus for a long time, or maybe you got a postcard in the mail, and you said, you know what, I'll come try this out. Maybe your mother-in-law talked you into coming because she was going to buy you dinner afterwards, and so you came for that reason. Maybe you were, had like Sunday, like you were in trouble at school, and you thought you had detention today, and so you showed up in its church. Whatever reason... What we want to do over the next few weeks is we want to look at what does unfiltered Jesus really look like. In John chapter 1, one of Jesus' close followers, somebody that was one of his best friends actually named John, wrote about Jesus and he wrote about Jesus right when Jesus was about 30 years old and he was starting his public ministry. And when Jesus was starting his public ministry, he had a cousin by the name of John, for those of you that grew up in Sunday school, John the Baptist, uh, that that was kind of the guy that before Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist, his cousin, was the one that was supposed to go out and kind of announce the coming Messiah and kind of let everybody know that, hey, this Jesus, this Messiah that we've been waiting for, he's, he's coming. But John the Baptist was one of those guys that, man, he was the ultimate rule, like out-of-the-box guy. The religious leaders of the day couldn't stand him because he did things so different. The dude wore like, he ate like bugs and, I mean, just weird stuff. And, and, And so he did not fit in the religious circle kind of box. And so one day, the religious leaders of the day came to John and said, hey, John, you're, you're kind of weird, and you're, you're announcing this Jesus thing, and man, you haven't been to seminary, and you haven't like checked all the right religious boxes, so who's given you this authority to announce the coming of Jesus? And John says something that is uh, very insightful in John chapter one, and it'll be up on the screen, verse 26 and 27. He says this, among you stands one you do not know. See, these religious leaders had been studying about this coming Messiah for literally their whole life. Their grandpa did it. Their great-grandpa did it. And, and John's like, you're coming to me worried about like, the rules that I'm not following in the religious system. And you are missing the one that you've been looking for. He's actually right here and you're totally missing him. And what's interesting is we do the same thing. Because we think we know how God's gonna work and we have a certain box that we think it should fit in, we have a filter we see Jesus through, that we do the exact same thing. Because it doesn't fit exactly what we thought, sometimes we dismiss truth. And so the very next day in in John chapter 1, verse 29, another day has passed, and, and the Bible tells us this, it says this, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, look, he says, look, the Lamb of God, the the one that we've been waiting for, the one I've been talking about, the one you guys have been getting upset at me about kind of announcing, that one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As John is announcing, hey, there he is, the one I've been talking about, Jesus, the Lamb of God, there he is, the one who's going to heal our relationship with God, the one that's going to take away our sin, the one that's going to do all that. There he is. In a parallel passage in the book of Mark, while John is kind of announcing Jesus, the Bible tells us in Mark chapter one that literally a voice came from heaven saying this, you are my beloved son with you, I am well pleased. So as John is pointing and saying, that's the guy, a voice from heaven comes and says, yes, that's my boy. That's my son. You want to know what God's like? Look at him. That's Jesus, my son. And he announces what they've been waiting for for so long that he is finally here. And then then, uh, a few verses later in John chapter 1, after Jesus has kind of been announced and John's pointed him out, Jesus begins to gather some followers. In John chapter 1 verse 43, it says this, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. See, the invitation was, hey, look and follow me. When we hear the invitation, follow me, here's what we think. So that means uh, clean up my life and believe all these right things and then come and hang out with Jesus. That wasn't the invitation. Jesus said, hey, Philip, hey, come hang out with me. Come spend time with me. Come have dinner with me. Come, let's have conversation. Come follow me. I'm not asking you to buy into everything right up front. I'm just saying, come spend time with me. For some of you, you may have walked away from the church because someone told you that following Jesus at the very beginning meant you had to clean it all up and then when you get it all together, you're welcome to follow And what Jesus was saying to Philip is, hey, come hang out with me. Come watch me. Come have dinner with me. Come hang out with other people who are followers of me. Come spend time with me. I often think that if the church today said the same thing that Jesus said and said, hey, just come investigate. Yeah, there'll be a time that you'll come to a point where you'll either reject or accept Jesus, but that's not the initial invitation. The initial invitation is just, hey, come investigate. But for some of you, and and rightfully so, you abandon what you can't examine. And somebody told you you couldn't ask questions about Jesus, and if you ask questions about Jesus, if you had hard questions that you didn't have enough faith and you should just believe, and so you walked away. And that wasn't what Jesus said. He said, come, follow me, investigate, spend time with me. And so Philip, he, he's a, he's, man, he, he hears Jesus say this, and man, he's all in. He's like, all right, let's go. Where are we eating tonight, Jesus? And he, he's going. And so Philip, he's a pretty exciting guy, seems to be pretty excited. And so he wants to go grab a few of his buddies. And, and so in, in verse 44, it says this, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him. When I read that, I think of Elf walking into the coffee place. Like, we finally found the best cup of coffee. Philip's like, hey, we, the one we talked about, Nathaniel. we found him. He's here. The one that they've taught us about since we were little kids, he's here. He says this, we found him of whom Moses, kind of our hero in the law, and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Like Nathaniel, we found him. He's from Nazareth. He's Joseph's kid. And Nathaniel, he there's always a Nathaniel in the crowd that says what everybody else thinks, but they're afraid to say. And so Nathaniel, he said what probably other people were thinking. He said this He says, Can anything good come from the ghetto of Nazareth? I mean, he probably didn't use the word ghetto, but that's what he meant. He's like, maybe Jerusalem, maybe Hebron, maybe some other influential city, but not not Nazareth. Does anything, I mean, does anything good come from there? Have you seen their high school football team? Man, the place is a wreck. No way. He asked that question. See. Nathaniel thought that the Messiah, the chosen one, would come in a way that he kind of had a box and a filter that like, if Jesus is going to come, then he's going to come this way from this place. But Jesus, again, just kind of turned the whole thing on its head because Jesus came from the place that nobody would have expected him to come from, Nazareth. He came from a place that, man, what good comes from Nazareth? can anything good. But what Nathaniel didn't understand was this was going to become kind of Jesus's way of doing things. He would choose places that nobody else would choose to make his greatest impact. He would find the people that nobody else would choose, and he would use them to change the world. So for Jesus to start in a place like Nazareth was just the way he was going to do things going forward. But, But for some of us in here, you're saying the exact same thing about your Nazareth. See, you're you're saying the exact same thing. You're saying, can anything good come from my singleness? Can anything good come from that divorce? Can anything good come from that diagnosis? Can anything good come from my past, the, the things that I regret? Can anything good come from my Nazareth? And it's just like Jesus to start in Nazareth to show the world that, yes, in the places that you, if you could, it could do anything about it, would get out of those places. Jesus is saying, I'm going to make those places that if you could leave them, you'd leave them. I'm going to make it the place for my greatest work in your life. Jesus says, I'm starting in Nazareth to show the world that I can use any place, I can use any past, I can use any background, I can take any dysfunction, and I can change it. And that's what Jesus did. And so, Philip, as, as, as Nathaniel saying, hey, is anything good come from Nazareth? Here's what Philip said. He, was, he wasn't going to say, hey man, let me give you like 12 reasons you should believe in Jesus, or here's a theological book to believe in. He said, here's what his response was. Come and see. Come and see. Yeah, Nazareth is a pretty bad place. And I don't know how this whole thing's going to end, but you should just come and watch. Come and be a part of it. And, And Jesus, again, that's exactly what he wanted. And so he brought Nathaniel along. He brought Philip along. And and what's interesting is when when he invited him to come and see, these boys had no clue what they were really going to come and see. See, they expected that this Jesus would go into the temple and kind of fit into the religious system and kind of take his spot in the system. And they didn't understand that what they were going to come and see is this same Jesus go into that same temple and flip over tables because people were putting profit above people. They had no idea what they were going to come and see when Jesus would turn leadership on its head and say, you know what? In order to be the greatest, you need to be the servant of all. They had no idea what they would come and see when Jesus would have lunch with an extortioner, when he would hang out with thugs and prostitutes. They had no idea what they were about to come and see. They had no idea how this whole thing was going to end, how Jesus would give his life on a cross in Roman crucifixion, one of the most awful ways you can die. They had no idea that this guy that was the Messiah was going to take on the sin of the world, would be beaten to death, hang on a cross, go into a grave, come out of the grave, defeat death, and win. They had no idea. And they were coming to see to watch to be a part of it, but they had no idea, at this point, they maybe, not, they maybe would have turned around, they had no idea what they were coming to see, and so the invitation is simple, whether you're someone that's been following Jesus for a long time, or maybe you're somebody that's skeptical, and you're actually arguing with me in your head right now, which is okay, The invitation isn't believe this list of stuff. The invitation is simply this. Come and see. Come and investigate. Spend time with Jesus. Read his claims in the scriptures. Come and see. Come and see what he was all about. And and there's only really one prerequisite to coming and seeing. And that one prerequisite is humility. See, and you know this, humility brings clarity. Pride brings blindness and bias. James, Jesus' actual brother, wrote in his letter, James chapter 4, verse 6, James wrote this. He said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, the most religious people of Jesus' day ended up dismissing the savior of the world that was a hundred yards away from them because of their arrogance. They missed it because of their pride. And so the, the, the invitation for you and for me is simply this. Would you pray, I want to see what I don't see? I, I'm not ready to sign on the dotted line, maybe. Not ready to follow Jesus and become a Christian and do that whole deal, but, but you know what? I am willing to pray, Jesus, help me to see what I'm missing. Help me to see you in a way that's unfiltered. Help me to see who you truly are. And, and what's, what's awesome is when Jesus does that, he's, he's disruptive, I have to warn you. So when you invite him in to see him, you're inviting some disruption in and you just got to know that. But but here's what's what's cool is see, there's some of you that in your head head and heart right now you're saying something like this I can't see any purpose coming from the pain in my life. Jesus, help me see. I I, I can't see, I'm, I'm struggling with loving God, and I'm I'm struggling with how can a loving God allow this in my life? Jesus, help me see. I'm struggling, I'm skeptical, I'm not sure what I believe. Jesus, help me see. My past, I, I, you don't even want to know what my life was like before, and, and, and I feel so condemned, I have so much shame in my life. Jesus, help me really see you. And really, that's the invitation, because every single one of us has a Nazareth. That if we're honest we would get out from under it really quick. We would say, you know what? I don't want any part of this. I want to leave Nazareth. I don't like what's happening in my life. And all the while, this could be the place of Jesus' greatest work in your life in your Nazareth. But your invitation to him has to be, Jesus, I don't understand, but help me see. I want to see. And as we begin to Kind of wrap this up. And I I said this a little bit earlier. You need to know that accepting your invitation to come and come and see is extending an invitation to come and disrupt. You need to know that. When you say, Okay, I'm gonna come and see, you're also saying, hey, you can come and disrupt my filters, you can come and disrupt what I've thought of you. Come and see. And and Jesus will, and, and here's what's possible. It's very possible that some of you that are following Jesus are following a Jesus that you don't really know. You're following a version of Jesus that somebody told you about, but you're following a Jesus that you don't even really know. For others of you, you've walked away from a Jesus that doesn't even exist. The Jesus you walked away from isn't even the real Jesus. And the invitation is, would you Come and see the real Jesus. See, as we kind of wrap this up, there's one of three things you can do with this. If you're here and you say, you know what? I'm skeptical. I'm in church, but I'm skeptical. Then would you leave today just saying, Jesus, I ain't signing on the dotted line yet, but I'm willing to come and see. Would you do that? Would you be willing to pray that dangerous prayer? I'll come and see. I'll investigate. I'll look further into this. I'll rip away my that I've grown up with, and I'll come and see. Or maybe you're here, and and this is you, and you say, you know what? I've seen enough. God's working in my heart. I've seen enough. I understand that that I have disobeyed God. I understand that my life doesn't please God. I understand that there's sin in my life. And I believe with everything I have that Jesus came to earth to die on the cross, to take away my sin, and that his body was put in a grave, and that he rose from the grave. And I've seen enough. I want a relationship with Jesus today. And maybe that's you. Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus and and you're close to Jesus and the invitation for you today is this. Would you invite somebody else to come and see? Because we all have people in our life that need to come and see Jesus. So let's let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we kind of wrap things up. And the band's going to come here in a second. And as we close, with every head bowed and every eye closed, Maybe you're a part of that, that maybe that first group that I talked about. You walked in this morning, and and you honestly, you're not sure why you walked in. You came, and, and you are willing to at least take a step to investigate, check out a new church. We're so thankful you did. And just in the quietness of your heart, you may say, man, I've never prayed in my life. I don't even know what that looks like. Would you just in the quietness of your heart, just between you and God, just say something like, hey, Jesus I'm willing to come and see. Help help me to see the real you. Would you say that? Would you just in the quietness of your heart, would you be willing? It's a dangerous prayer. But would you be willing to say, Jesus, I want to see you for who you truly are. Maybe you're part of that second group I talked to and, and you say, man, Chris, I've seen enough. Man, God's already been working in my heart way before today. And I understand that I have sinned against God. I understand because of that sin, my relationship with God is broken, but I believe that Jesus Christ, God's son, came to earth to die on the cross and raise from the dead for me. I understand that, and today I want to start a relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's you. Just in the quietness of this room, if you're here and you'd say, Chris, that's me. I I want to start a relationship with Jesus with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just in the quietness of your heart, would you say something like this to God? Would you say, dear God, I admit that I've sinned. I admit that. God, I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross and raise from the dead for me. I believe that. Jesus, come into my life. Save me. I want to start a relationship with you with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe that's you. Maybe today was the day that you started a relationship with Jesus. If you're here and you'd say, Chris, this morning I prayed and I asked Jesus to save me. With everybody else's head bowed and eyes closed, would you just slip up your hand? You say, today I prayed and I asked Jesus to save me. Anybody else? Just raise your hand and say, today I prayed I invited Jesus to save me. And then there's a third group, and and maybe the invitation for you is simply this. Are you willing to invite somebody else to come and see? To come and see Jesus. Not for what they think he is, not for what our world has made him, but who he really is. Jesus, I thank you for those that have trusted you as their Savior today. Lord, I thank you for the the many that have said, hey, I'm willing to at least come and see. I'm willing to at least investigate. I want to at least see what the unfiltered version of Jesus really looks like. And Lord, for the rest of us that, that just honestly need to invite somebody else to come and see you, I pray that we would. In Jesus' name, amen.